Um, let's just pray and then let's just jump in, okay? All right. Precious Heavenly Father, thank you so much. Thank you so much for your Son, Jesus Christ, for the power of your Holy Spirit, for the spirit of wisdom and revelation that brings us into the truth. Today I pray that as we open our hearts and minds to hear the word of the kingdom, that we would be more than hearers of the word, that we would be doers of the word, that we would do more than hear the message of the kingdom and say amen to it, but that we would actually enter into it. I thank you for it in Jesus' precious, holy, mighty name. Amen. The gospel is in large measure the gospel of the kingdom of God. The gospel is not the message that if you say the following prayer, you get to go to heaven when you die. Jesus, please come into my heart. Forgive me of my sin. I believe you died for my sin. In Jesus' name, amen. That is not the gospel. The content of the gospel that we find in the gospels is not that you get to go to heaven when you die. That is a me-centered gospel. That is a gospel that is about me, about my life, about my destiny, about my sins. And what that gospel produces is what Dallas Willard calls vampire Christians who just want a little bit of Jesus' blood for their sins, but they don't want anything else to do with Him. They don't want the Jesus that actually demands allegiance in your daily life. They don't want the Jesus who actually brings truth claims about the nature of life, the Jesus who claims to be the way, the truth, and the life. We don't want vampire Christians. We want real Christians. And when we say we want real Christians, there's something very specific and very biblical that we are alluding to. We began this series six weeks ago talking about John uh, the Baptist in Matthew chapter 3, verse 2, coming on the scene, and what he preaches is, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And we discovered that Jesus preaches exactly the same message in Matthew chapter 4, verse 17. It says, from that time, Jesus began to preach and say, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Later on in Matthew chapter 10, Jesus sends his disciples out two by two, and he tells them, as you go, preach and say, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And so the, the core of the gospel that we find in the gospels is number one, the invitation to repent, but so that, we repent so that we can enter into this reality called the kingdom of heaven. And so the gospel is the message or the good news of the presence and availability of the kingdom of heaven. The gospel is the good news of the presence and availability of the kingdom of heaven, and it is the invitation to enter into this reality called the kingdom of heaven and to live in the kingdom of heaven in every component of our lives. Now, Jesus, in Matthew chapter 4, verse 17, after he finds out that John had been put in prison, he begins to preach and he begins to say, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. In week one of this series, we discovered that when he said the kingdom of heaven is at hand, that Greek verb translated at hand is in the perfect tense, which indicates that it is a present continuing state that has resulted from a past completed action. The kingdom of heaven is a present continuous state that has resulted from a past completed action. The past completed action was the birth of Jesus Christ, the incarnation in which God came in human flesh and blood and brought the nearness of his kingdom to us, right? But the present continuous state is the open opportunity for us to live in the fullness of life called the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven. But in order to enter into it, we must repent. And this is an important point. The heart of the gospel is not repent because you've been doing things that are wrong and repent so that you can begin to do things that are right. That is, the core of the gospel is not morality. It is not a moralistic gospel. It is not a gospel of right and wrong, do's and don'ts, rules and regulations. Repentance is not so that you can begin to do right. Repentance is the removal of everything that would keep you out of the kingdom of God. 
that is, repentance is necessary because there are certain things that cannot go into the kingdom with you. And you must turn away from those things, not so that you can be right or be good, but so that you can enter into the kingdom. Meaning that there are certain things that belong to another kingdom that cannot enter with you into God's kingdom. And if you wish to enter into God's kingdom, you must turn from these things. Now, Dallas Willard, who uh, passed away a few years ago, uh, he talks about growing up in a rural, rural I can't even say the word rural, <laughs> area in southern Missouri. And he says when he was growing up, there was no electricity in his region. But when he was 18 years old, the... Uh, the Rural Electrification Administration, the REA, came to town and extended power lines to his area. You want me to use this one? The REA came and extended power lines to his area. Now, there was a meeting that transpired in which the director of the REA came and met with all of these farmers in southern Missouri and basically preached a message to them. And the message was, repent for the kingdom of electricity is at hand. Follow me here. The message was, we're getting ready to install power lines in your area that's going to bring a reality called electricity to you, a kingdom. However, in order to enter into that kingdom, you must turn away from your kerosene lamps. You must turn away from your ice boxes and cellars. You must turn away from your woman-powered sewing machines. You must turn away from your dry cell battery-powered radios, and you must enter fully into this reality that we call the kingdom of electricity, right? This isn't an analogy. I need you to follow me, right? And he talks about the fact that many heard that message but never entered into that kingdom in his town. Many farmers did not enter into that kingdom because some of them didn't believe the message. Some of them did not believe that the kingdom of electricity was actually better than their kerosene lamps. Some of them didn't believe that there could actually be something that could bring more power to their lives than their dry cell battery-powered radios. They didn't believe it. Others believed it, but simply weren't ready to change yet. Others believed the message and knew, I'm, I'm sure this thing about the kingdom of electricity is true, but I'm simply not ready yet to enter into this kingdom. I like my old kingdom just fine, thank you very much. I like my kerosene lamps and my lanterns. I like my, I like my candles that I can set out on the table at night. I, I like these things. I like scrubbing my own laundry. I don't want to use that laundry machine, that washing machine thing. I don't trust this newfangled stuff. But then there were others who believed it, who would have actually preferred to enter into that kingdom, but they thought it was too expensive because, you see, you've got to pay the price to enter into this kingdom. You see, you've actually got to begin to pay for electricity when it comes in. And so you're turning away from something that is free, like candles, and you're turning to something that costs money, that's electricity. And, and they did not want to pay the price to enter in. So some simply didn't believe it. Others believed it, but were not ready to turn from their old ways. And finally, others believed it, were ready to turn from their own ways, but just couldn't afford it. Now, this is exactly the reception that Jesus gets when he comes with the proclamation, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. The kingdom of heaven is like electricity. Now, when you think about electricity, ultimately, the purpose of electricity is to bring power to your world. And the kingdom of heaven ultimately is about God coming to power your entire world. Ultimately, God is coming to bring us into the power of his kingdom. Ultimately, he wants the power of his kingdom to flow through us. It's the power that makes the blind to see and that causes the deaf to hear. It's the power that causes the lame to walk. It's the power that raised Jesus Christ up from the grave and brought him out of the tomb. It's the power that has that can not only break sickness off of your life, but can break depression off of your life, and it can break bondage off of your life, and it can break addiction off of your life, and it can break every power of oppression off of your life and bring you into something called freedom. However, the power of the kingdom, like electricity, cannot power your life as long as you're living in the old kingdom. And what we find is a lot of 
individuals who would even call themselves believers in Jesus Christ live by the power of the old kingdom, but claim to be in the new kingdom. Imagine this. Imagine going to somebody's house, and when you walk in the door, the whole room is lit by kerosene lamps, and you sit at the table, and they turn on their radio. It's powered by dry cell batteries, and there's a woman over in the corner pumping a sewing machine, and they look at you and say, isn't electricity awesome? I'm so glad to be in the kingdom of electricity. You're like, there's no electric, there's no power of electricity in your house. What do you mean it's good to be in the kingdom of electricity? That's just like walking into the home of someone who calls themselves a believer in Jesus Christ, but their live-in girlfriend or boyfriend is sitting over there on the couch Uh, You see where I'm going with this? And they say, I thank God for Jesus. (laughs) I'm so thankful to be in the kingdom of God. But there's no power of the kingdom in your life. You haven't come out. You haven't actually come into the kingdom. You might have said a prayer. You might go to church every Sunday. It's like somebody going into an electrically powered room once a week. And saying, I'm in the kingdom of electricity. No, you visit it once a week. You don't live in it. Jesus did not invite people to visit the kingdom every Sunday from 11 a.m. to 1 p.m. He invited people to come out of the kingdom of darkness and into the kingdom of God and live there 24-7, 365. Now, the process of coming into the kingdom is actually constituted by three different encounters. The first is called a truth encounter. It is the process by which you come out of the lie and into the truth. The second is called an allegiance encounter. It is the process by which you transfer your allegiance from the kingdom of this world to the kingdom of God. And then the third is called a power encounter. It is the process by which the power of darkness is broken off of your life and the power of the kingdom of God, it becomes manifest in your life. These three encounters are what it takes to come out of the kingdom of the world and into the kingdom of God so that you actually begin to live in the fullness of the life of the kingdom that Jesus actually was inviting us into when he began to preach and say, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Now, the truth encounter starts with the recognition that your old life was a lie, that before you met Jesus, you were deceived and you were living a lie. And the heart of that lie was that life is about doing your thing in your way. The heart of the life was that you have the right to retain rulership over your own life, and that you must retain that right at all costs. The lie is self-rulership. The lie is self-preservation, self-actualization, self-gratification. It's the concept that you own you, that you belong to you, and that you retain the right to determine the course of your own life. That was the lie. When you met Jesus, you discovered three things, well, two, two primary things about him. The first thing you discovered is that he is the Messiah, which means that he is the Savior, which means that he bought you with his blood. He paid the price for you on the cross. And secondly, you discovered that he is the Lord, which means he is your rightful master and ruler, and that he retains the right to rule over your life. And when you discovered that you were living in a lie and embraced the truth, you surrendered your life to Jesus Christ. That's what it actually means to surrender your life to Jesus Christ. It doesn't mean to say a prayer and say, Jesus, be the, rule, be the Lord of my life. That's lip service. If you don't actually believe that you were living in deception when you retained the right to rule over your own life, you actually have not surrendered your life to Jesus Christ. And you actually have not come into the kingdom of God. 
coming into the kingdom of God, the kingdom is ruled by a king. And if you have not submitted your life to the king, you have not come into the kingdom of the king. And so that truth encounter is the first component of it. I have been living my life for me, by me. I have been living according to my own ability to pursue, to, or to, to perceive truth or error. And I have been living by the dictates of my own heart and of my own mind. I've been making decisions for me, but that was deception. That's actually the same deception that the serpent brought to Eve in the garden. Let's think about this, you and me. Let's think about this apart from what God says. Let's actually examine the truth claims of God. He said, you'll surely die. I'm telling you, God didn't know what he was talking about. And in that moment, when Eve began to entertain that logic train, she came out of the kingdom of God and into the kingdom of self, where I begin to make decisions for myself, where I begin to think for myself. Now, now, don't get me wrong. A lot When we start talking this way, people get scared because what they told you about church is that they're going to take away your ability to think for yourself. You're going to be indoctrinated not realizing that you're actually indoctrinated by the world far more than you're indoctrinated by the church, that actually the fruit of the Spirit is self-control. That is, when the power of sin is broken off your life, now you can actually think for yourself. That is, the Holy Spirit actually gives you the power of self-control. You thought you had self-control when you were out in the world doing your own thing, and you don't realize you were in bondage. But coming into the truth is what actually makes you free and separates you from the power of bondage. And so first, there was that truth encounter, and the truth encounter, the content of the truth encounter is the person of Jesus Christ. Do you remember Saul of Tarsus on the road to Damascus? He was living his life in a particular way. It was the way that he thought was right until he meets Jesus on the road to Damascus. And when he has this encounter with Jesus, the question he asked was, who are you? And he said, I'm Jesus. And that was it. When Paul discovered who Jesus was, he renounced his own rulership over his own life and said, I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. The life that I live in the body, I live by the faith of the Son of God. For me to live is, for me to, to live is Christ and to die is gain. He says, I have surrendered everything to Jesus. When I met him, I surrendered to him. And if I haven't surrendered to him, it means I haven't yet actually met him. Sadhu Sundar Singh was a Sikh in India, and he went into a deep depression at a certain point in his life, and late one night he prayed this prayer. He said, God, if there is a God, show me the way and show me who you are. And he says, and I will become a holy man, meaning I'll surrender my whole life to you. Otherwise, I'll kill myself. He was at that place of despair. In the middle of the night, he awoke, and his whole room was filled with light. And he thought there was something going outside, like, like, some, like an explosion or a fire or something that was bringing light into his room. But he looked outside, and it was complete darkness. And he turned around, and his whole room was filled with light. And then he saw a figure standing before him. And at first, he thought it was Buddha or Krishna. But the man looked at him and said, why do you persecute me? And he said, who are you that I persecute you? And he said, Look at the nail prints in my hands and in my feet. I died for you. I gave my life for you. And he looked and he saw the nail prints in his hands and in his feet. And he said, you are Jesus. And he said, that is who I am. And he fell at his feet and he said, I surrender my life to you. Literally, he meets Jesus. He discovers the truth of who he is. And the result of it is, I surrender my life to you. Not, not, not a, an eternal life insurance policy. Not, oh good, please lead me in the prayer so I can go to heaven when I die. No, 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 no. I surrender my life to you. It's about lordship. It's about recognizing who he is. When you have the truth encounter and you come to the truth and you recognize who Jesus is, the result is that you surrender your life to him. And if you have not surrendered your life to him, you haven't met him yet in his fullness. So it's first a truth encounter. Secondly, it's an allegiance encounter. 
Meaning once you come into the truth and you realize the bankruptcy of your prior way of life, once you realize the bankruptcy of living for yourself and living by yourself and living by your own understanding and for your own desires and for your own gratification and according to your own plan for your life, and you've come into the truth of who Jesus is and surrendered your life to him, next there's an allegiance encounter. It means that your allegiance is transferred from the kingdom of the world to the kingdom of God. What does that mean? That means that when you were living the lie, your allegiance was to the world system, which was built upon the same lie. The whole kingdom of the world is built upon the lie that you were living in before you came to Christ. And there was an allegiance, meaning you used to look and see people who were living the way you were living and applaud them. You used to celebrate them. You know, as someone who's played golf for several years, not well, and recently, not off, not often, uh, actually for the last 10 years since my daughter was born, I play maybe once a year. I'm just starting to play a little bit more. You know, having a kid will just destroy your life. No, I'm just, <laughs> just kidding, just kidding, just kidding. Alethe, if you hear that, I love you. You didn't destroy my life. You made my life. But I mean, the, the life that you had before your kid was born is what I mean. That's over. I used to play golf every single week, at least once a week, most of the time twice a week. Sometimes my wife would wake up in the morning and I'd just be gone. <laughs> she wouldn't even say, where are you? I'm on the golf course. That's where I am. The thing that I discovered about golf is that if you play golf and if you're an avid golfer, you immediately have a worldwide community of individuals with whom you are aligned. You can be in another country and all you see is somebody wearing a Titleist hat. You're like, my brother. You know what I mean? It's like, what's up, man? You play golf? Yeah, I play golf. You play golf? Yeah, bro. What's up? You don't even have to speak the same language. You'd be like, what's up, bro? You play golf? You'd be like, golf? Yeah, golf. You know? You mean Korea, you know? Like, handicap? You know? All right. It's like you've got instant connection. Why? Because there is an implicit allegiance. That is, when your heart is joined to something, there's an implicit allegiance to everyone else whose heart is joined to the same thing. Jesus said, where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. When your treasure was in the world, living according to the dictates of your own heart and your own desires, there was an implicit alignment or allegiance to everyone else in the world who was living that way. And that's why you would celebrate what the scripture would call rebellion against God, what the scripture would call wickedness. When we lived in ignorance, we celebrated that. But once we surrender, truly surrender our lives to Jesus Christ, we can't celebrate that anymore. We grieve because we see it as deception. Instead, we celebrate surrender. When someone surrenders their life to Jesus, you know, Chris Rock was talking about this in one of his old stand-ups. He talked about, he was talking about uh, a, a particular kind of culture, uh, ninja culture. I'm not, not ninja, but you know, I'm not going to say that word here. But he said, he said, he said, if you tell a ninja you just graduated from college, they're like, so you think you better than me? But you tell them you just got out of jail? My dog, you just got out of jail? Do <laughs> you celebrate the wrong thing? Sometimes I grieve because I see believers celebrating what scripture calls wickedness and rebellion against God. Celebrating what actually not and not when I say when I say you celebrate surrender, it's I'm not talking about judgmentalism where we're supposed to look at, at the world, look at all these wicked people. That's not what I'm talking about. Once again, it's not about right and wrong. It's about the invitation to enter into the kingdom. And when I see someone living a lifestyle that's going to keep them out of the kingdom, I grieve for them. Because I want you to know the life and the, and the joy and the freedom that I've experienced by coming into the kingdom. And I know that you can't take that into the kingdom with you. And so I grieve. And, and when somebody says, I surrendered my life to Jesus Christ and I came out of this, or I came out of that. My dog. <laughs> you know what I mean? I celebrate. Because there's been a transfer of my allegiance. And then thirdly, it's about a power encounter. 
This is the thing. Remember, the truth encounter is about awakening to the fact that when you were living according to yourself, according to your own heart, according to your own desires, according to your own wants, according to your own understanding, when you were leaning on your own understanding and not trusting in the Lord, you were living a lie. You were deceived. Not realizing, actually, that that was also a form of idolatry. Because anything that exalts itself above the kingdom of God is an idol. And when we were living in the deception of self, Yourself was the idol. Myself was the idol. Myself was the thing that I obeyed about above God. I set myself above God. And 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 6 says that the sacrifices that pagans make to idols, they make to demons and not to God. Meaning that idolatry is inherently demonic. Which meant that let me tell you what this means. When you make a decision to leave to live for yourself and by your own power, you're not actually living by your own power. You are demonically empowered to live by your own power. Meaning the devil sees that decision and goes, I fully support that decision. Matter of fact, let me help you. Yeah, you should do it your way. By yourself. Have it your way right away. Obey your thirst. Hmm? Do it your way. The enemy says, I'm going to support that. I'm going to sponsor you so that you can live your way. I'm going to make sure you have all the resources you need to live your way. I'm going to provide you with arguments that will buttress your decision to live your way. I'm going to provide you with the teaching you need. The Bible calls it doctrines of demons. You are demonically empowered to live your way, and because of that, you're in bondage when you're living your way. The power encounter is when you recognize that you cannot even break your way by your own power. When you recognize that you have actually been living in the kingdom of darkness, and the power encounter is when he transfers you out of the power of darkness and into the kingdom of the son that he loves, according to Colossians chapter 1, verse 13. The power encounter is deliverance. When he triumphs over powers and principalities in your life and makes a public spectacle of them. However, the power encounter is not just what you're delivered from, but what you're delivered to. And what you are delivered to is the power of the kingdom of God made manifest through your life. And the power of the kingdom of God made manifest through your life is when all of the sudden there's an outbreak of the power of the kingdom of God. And God begins to use you in mighty ways. I've had so many believers tell me, I would love to pray for the sick and see them get healed. That's the power of the kingdom flowing through your life. You don't want to repent of your sin and come out of it, but you want to lay hands on the sick and see them healed. You want to manifest the power of the kingdom, but you don't want to submit to it. But the whole reason that God wants us to submit to the kingdom is so that the power of the kingdom can flow through us. God is actually trying to empower us. He actually, it's time for the sons of the kingdom to shine like this. Listen, God, what God desires for you is fullness of life, fullness of joy. The kingdom of God is not eating and drinking, but righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. Jesus said, the thief comes not before to steal, to kill, and to destroy, but I have come that they might have life and that they might have it more abundantly. And actually, when he said more abundantly, the word that he used in the Greek literally means excessively, which means more than enough which means more than full. It is, it's similar to the word debauchery. Debauchery is when you, like when you, you're drinking alcohol, like, you know, you drink, okay, you have one drink, that's cool, but you have 12, that's debauchery. <laughs> debauchery is more than enough. Now you are intoxicated. Now your whole consciousness has been overtaken by alcohol. 
Jesus says, I want you to be intoxicated with the kingdom. There's too many believers who take the kingdom in moderation. Just one shot of the kingdom. But then I'll go out and have 12 shots of the world. I take the kingdom in moderation, but the world in excess. Jesus says, I want you to have excessive amounts of the kingdom. I want you to gorge on the kingdom. I want you to be kingdom gluttons. I want you to be kingdom drunkards. I want you to stay blunted on the kingdom. I want you to get blazed on the kingdom. I want you to wake up and get blazed every moment, every morning. You understand what I'm saying? It's an analogy. And I'm not, I'm not just talking about the experiential components. He doesn't, you know, a lot of times when we talk about the power of the kingdom, the only thing that we can think of are the manifestations of the Holy Spirit falling on the floor, you know, getting slain in the spirit or speaking in tongues or shaking under the power of God. Jesus is not saying that you're to live 24 hours a day, seven days a week in manifestation. You don't always have to fall when somebody lays hands on you. You don't always have to shake. You don't always have to cry. It's not about the manifestation, but you. But the kingdom of God is righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. That's the act. The true nature of the kingdom is righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. And you're supposed to live in that realm. Now, the kingdom of God is the range of God's effective will. The kingdom of God is the range of his effective will, is the realm in which what he wants done gets done. It's the range of his effective will. When Jesus invites us to come into the kingdom of God, he invites us to live in the range of God's effective will, which means, first and foremost, personal obedience. Now, I'm getting ahead of myself. I I skipped a whole part of my sermon that I was supposed to go to in the beginning, so I'm going to backtrack a little bit. Follow me. It's okay. I didn't even need to tell you that. You wouldn't have even known. But that's how I roll. In Matthew chapter 4, verse 17, the scripture says, From that time Jesus began to preach and say, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And then in verse 18, he begins to call disciples. First he says, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And then the very next thing he does is walks down by the Sea of Galilee. And he sees James and John, the sons of Zebedee, in the boat with their father. And he says, come and follow me, and I'll make you fishers of men. And then he sees Simon Andrew in the boat fishing, and he says, come and follow me. And all four of these guys jump out of the boats, leave their fathers behind, leave their past way of life behind, leave their kerosene lamps, their iceboxes and cellars, their woman-powered sewing machines, their dry cell battery-powered radios, and they come into the kingdom of Jesus. First, he says, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And then he explains what it means to repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand then he demonstrates what it takes to actually enter into the kingdom. It's called discipleship. He does not say repent and become a Christian. I'm sure somebody say, repent and be Baptist. No, he said repent and be baptized, not Baptist. It's about discipleship to Jesus. Discipleship is the process by which Jesus brings you out of the kingdom of this world and into the kingdom of God. He says, come and follow me. And here's what's powerful. All 12 of these guys that he calls as his disciples, they had had a degree of a truth encounter, but they had not come fully into the truth yet. But they were following Jesus. They had all had some part of an allegiance encounter, but they had not fully transferred their allegiance into the kingdom of heaven, but they were following Jesus. And they had all had some form of power encounter by seeing him heal the sick and raise the dead and cleanse the lepers and cast out demons, 
but they had not fully broken themselves free from the power of the world. But they were following Jesus. First, Jesus gives us the standard, and the standard is so clear and so true. Flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. Paul gives us the standard in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 9 through 11, in a passage which at this day and this time is one of the most controversial passages in Scripture and one that us pastors almost never dare even to read out of the Bible in the church because it's so controversial. Paul says, do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, for neither fornicators nor idolaters nor adulterers, nor homosexuals, nor sodomites, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor extortioners shall inherit the kingdom of God. And then he says, such were some of you, but you were washed, but you were sanctified, but you were justified in the name of the Lord and by the Spirit of God. That standard is so clear and so true in Scripture. The question is, how did those individuals in the Corinthian church get washed? How did they get sanctified? How did they get justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the power of the Holy Spirit? I'll tell you how they heard the invitation of the kingdom and they made the decision, I'm going to come and follow Jesus. Just like these 12 disciples heard the invitation of the kingdom and they made a decision, I'm going to come and follow Jesus. And as they begin to follow Jesus, as they begin to walk with Jesus, he led them over a period of three years into an ever deepening truth encounter, into an ever-deepening allegiance encounter, into an ever-deepening power encounter. He simply says, come and follow me. Yes, these things cannot enter the kingdom of heaven with you, but you also recognize that you do not have the power to free yourself or wash yourself or cleanse yourself or set yourself free from such things. The good news of the kingdom is that the power of forgiveness and the power of cleansing and the power of freedom is in Jesus Christ and not in ourselves. And this is the key. There is a sense in which, you know, Jesus talked about it in Matthew chapter 13. I would encourage all of you to read through Matthew chapter 13 and all of these parables that go all the way to Matthew chapter 25, which is just astounding in which Jesus tells us about the kingdom of heaven. But in one of the parables in Matthew chapter 13, Jesus says the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure in a field. The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure in a field. That is, the kingdom is the treasure, not the field. The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure in a field, which when a man found it, he hid it again. And in his joy, he went out and sold all that he had and came back and bought that field. Notice that Jesus says, in order to get the treasure, you've got to sell all that you have and buy the field. You see, we're so used to hearing messages about the freeness of the gospel of Jesus. It's free. It doesn't cost you anything. You just freely receive it. It's free. And there's a sense in which that's true. And there's a sense in which that's not true. It's true in this sense. When you look at all of your sins, which all of us have many sins, throughout our lives we have committed sins. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. If you look at your sins and the enormity of your sin and my sin, you cannot pay the price to obtain forgiveness and reconciliation with God for those sins. There is no amount of good works that you and I could ever do to pay for our own salvation. And that's why the forgiveness of sins and justification before God is the free gift of Jesus Christ, who is our Messiah, our Savior. It's free in that sense. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. It's free. Meaning, the forgiveness of your sins is free. All you got to do 
is believe in Jesus. But here's the price. You must be willing to forsake your sins. That's what will cost you. You've got to forsake the thing that God freely gives you. You've got to forsake the thing for which God freely gives you forgiveness and eternal life. The freedom is in forgiveness. But entering into the kingdom requires the renunciation of the thing for which we are forgiven. Salvation is free, but it ain't cheap. Kingdom living is expensive. It costs you everything. All of those kerosene lamps, you paid good money for them kerosene lamps. You paid good money for those washboards. Now you got a washing machine. Do you realize that if you're still living in your sins and haven't renounced them, that's old-fashioned. That's so old school. You're still living by your old power. That's old school. That's old-fashioned. you got to come into the modern age of the kingdom of God. <laughs> You've got to come. The true power is the power of the kingdom of God. You know, I did a funeral yesterday. I did a funeral for a young man who was only 28 years old. He was gunned down in Richmond last week. And uh, his family was there, his older brothers and sisters. He was the youngest of five children, I believe. And his older siblings were there, and his two children were there, and his mother were there and was there, and so many of his family members and friends were there. And you know what was so heavy on my heart as I looked at these individuals who were grieving so deeply? And my heart just broke for them. And I thought to myself, you know, in the midst of a tragedy like this, the question that immediately comes to our hearts and minds is how could there be a God in the face of this tragedy? How could there be a God who would allow this to happen? But you know what grieved my heart at that moment is I thought, Lord, it grieves me to think that even one of these individuals here would separate their hearts and minds from you because of that lie of the enemy that would be sown into their hearts and minds in this moment. In actuality, what came to my heart was, how could I survive this if there isn't a God? In other words, in the moment of my greatest tragedy, there better be a God or else I'm lost. And that living in the kingdom is actually living in the availability of the comfort and even the, the joy and peace of the Holy Spirit, even in the midst of the worst tragedies of my life. How did you make it through that? I'll tell you how I made it through that. I live in the kingdom of God. My kerosene lamps couldn't have gotten me through that, but the kingdom can get me through that the electricity of the kingdom of God. I'm telling you that there is a level of power and glory that God is calling you to walk in, in which the sons of the kingdom shine like the stars in the kingdom of their father. There is a level of freedom that God has called you to walk in, in which the spirit of the Lord brings freedom. Where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. There is freedom and there is joy and there is power in the kingdom, but it simply starts with surrender. We surrender. we got to buy the field to get the treasure. And buying the field is simply about surrender. It doesn't even matter what the, the field was inconsequential. It could have been an ugly field. Could have been a jacked up field. Could have been a field that didn't grow anything. Could have been a field with soil that doesn't grow anything. But it's not about the field. It's about the treasure in the field. And you, he might have had to go home and sell some good stuff in order to get the money to buy the field. He probably went home. His wife was mad because she found him grabbing her jewelry and selling it. Where's my jewelry? I sold it. Where are my shoes at? I sold all of them. Like, what are you doing taking all my stuff? I'll tell you why I'm taking all your stuff. Because I found a treasure that is so much greater than all of the treasures that we possess and all of our living for self and all of our own desires and our own ambitions and our own visions and our own dreams and our own gratification. I found something that's so much greater. It's the kingdom of God. 
And at the end of the day, the kingdom first life, the kingdom first life is actually the kingdom only life. Because when you put the kingdom of God first, everything else gets transferred into the kingdom of God. You put the kingdom of God first in your finances, all the rest of your finances come into the kingdom too. And now suddenly you're living financially by the power of the kingdom. I, I told a story. I told a story about how I don't know if I told it last week or not, but I told a story about how my wife and I were eighteen thousand dollars in credit card debt, and we cried out to the Lord, said, "Lord, please make a way for this, us to pay this off." And you know what He said? He spoke to me immediately and said, "Double your tithe. I want twenty percent now." I said, "Lord, I I don't know where you went to school, but your math is bad. You need some basic arithmetic lessons." Did you not hear what I said? I I just said I can't pay this debt off even giving you 10%. You see, I thought the Lord would say, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to excuse you from the tithe until your debt is paid off. Because that's good stewardship, right? You know, pay my debts first, you know. And the Lord said, no, I want to double tithe. I want you to double your tithe. I want 20%. And I looked at my wife and I said, baby, the Lord just told me he wants 20% and that's how we're going to pay off our debt. And my wife being the gangster for Jesus, she is, she smiled. She's like, let's do it. All right, let's go. Let's do it. You know what happened? God called us deeper into the kingdom. And suddenly, when we came into the kingdom and surrendered to the kingdom, the windows of heaven opened over us, and all of a sudden, finances started coming from directions we never saw. And by December of that year, we paid off all of that credit card debt. Isn't it funny? We couldn't pay it off giving 10, but we paid it off giving 20. Why? Because when you surrender things to God's hand, you begin to see God's hand in everything. That is, if you put everything in God's hand, you'll be able to see God's hand in everything. When you come and surrender to the kingdom, suddenly you're not living by your own power anymore. And you look at your own strength and say, I can only go this far. But God says, no, 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 no. You're in my kingdom now. You've surrendered to me now. You've come into the kingdom in your relationships. And now I'm going to show you what the kingdom can do for your relationships. You've come into the kingdom in your obedience. Now I'm going to show you what the kingdom of God can do in your obedience. You surrendered your career to the kingdom. Now I'll show you what the kingdom can do for your career. That is, when you come into the kingdom and when you come as one who surrenders, God will demonstrate his glory as one who provides. And at the end of the day, God is not trying to take from us. He's actually trying to give to us. He's not trying to take from us. The kingdom economy is antithetical to the economy of the world. In the kingdom of economy, you want to get, you got to give. You want to save your life, you got to lose it. You want to be great, you become the servant of all. You want to gain the world, you got to lose it. You want to go up, you got to go down. You got to humble yourself under God's mighty hand so that he could exalt you in due time. That is, the way up in the kingdom is down. The way of authority is surrender. And ultimately, when Jesus invites us into this way of life called the kingdom of heaven, that way of life called the kingdom of heaven is not about going to heaven when you die. It's about living in heaven now, in your daily life. And when Jesus calls us into this realm called the kingdom of heaven, he's doing us the greatest favor that he could ever do. He's inviting us into the greatest reality that is for our good, not his. And we must shake free from the deception of the enemy in order to enter into that kingdom. Everything around you is trying to keep you out of the kingdom. The deception of the enemy is trying to keep you out of the kingdom. So much of what you think are your own thoughts are actually demonic suggestions designed to keep you out of the kingdom. And so often you think you're thinking for yourself. You're not. You are deceived. But when we make a decision to come into the truth, when we make a decision to transfer our allegiance, and when we make a decision to seek the power of God, the kingdom of heaven comes upon us.
And when we enter into that kingdom, you look back on your prior way of life and say, you know what? It doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense. But this is the only way. This is life. This is truth. There's nothing more valuable than life in the kingdom of God. Bow your heads. Precious Heavenly Father, I thank you today for your word, which does not return to you void, but it accomplishes what you send it to accomplish. I pray today in the name of Jesus there would be a truth encounter. That there would be an awakening to the truth in hearts and minds that say the way of life lived by my own power and my own strength is bankrupt. Jesus is the way. Jesus is the truth. Jesus is the life. Secondly, I pray there would be an allegiance encounter. That our allegiance would shift, would be transferred from the kingdom of the world to the kingdom of God. That we would no longer rejoice in the face of rebellion, but that we would grieve and that we would cry out, your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And I pray, Father, for a power encounter. A power encounter by the power of the Holy Spirit. That you would break the power of darkness over every heart and over every mind. That you would give us weapons that are not of this world but are mighty in God to the pulling down of strongholds, casting down vain imaginations and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, taking into captivity every thought to the obedience of Jesus Christ. Father, I pray for a power encounter, truth, allegiance, and power in Jesus' name. And I pray that even in this house this morning that you would begin to manifest the power of your kingdom. That you would begin to manifest the power of your kingdom that you would transfer us out of the dominion of darkness and into the kingdom of the son of your love. You're not calling us to be Christians. You're calling us to live in the kingdom. You're not calling us to be churchgoers. You're calling us to live in the kingdom. And Father, the Holy Spirit is the electricity of the kingdom. I pray, Father, that we would plug into the true vine and receive the electricity of the Holy Spirit. And Holy Spirit, I pray that you would come this morning and bring freedom, God. I pray that you would come this morning and bring power. Lord Jesus, I pray that you would come this morning and bring us into the kingdom. Bring it and manifest the power of the kingdom and set us free. I pray you would do it in Jesus' mighty name.